0: Someone for me who owns the stage, Elton John,
1: when the show was over, he came over to me and said, do you think you could ever do anything for me uh, costume wise? And I said, well, yeah, what, what what kind of things would you like? Thinking, well, I don't have too many men that I dress, so that would be interesting. He said, well, I want things like share with with all the glitter and the feathers and, and everything. And I said, oh, OK, I will we can do that.
0: I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. As news comes that the dispute may be resolved in Hollywood, where the Screen Actors Guild has been striking for better treatment, I am delighted to introduce Bob Mackey onto my podcast. He is one of the greatest living costumiers who has been involved in show business for more than half a century. You will recognise Bob Mackie's designs for being glitzy and daring. He is the mastermind behind so many of the greatest costumes on Chair, Carol Burnett, Zendaya, Madonna and many more. The opening of the Diva exhibition at London's Victoria and Albert Museum was a very glamorous affair, and I should have guessed that Bob Mackie would fly in from California, especially to view his outfits on display. Bob Mackie, is it really 60 years since you sewed on your first sequin? Let's hear how you have gone from making costumes in Hollywood to starting your fashion brand and everything in between. Bob Mackie, ah, Bob Mackie, you are the sultan of sequins, or I <laughs> could say the rajah of rhinestones. Are there actually any sequins left in California after you've been through? You are Hollywood master of
1: glitz and glam. Those titles came so long ago, I forget that they they'd ever called me that but uh, yeah The the Wizard of Glitter and Flash was one of my favourite ones (laughs) Well it's very much an honour to see you because
0: you're rarely seen outside America these days but the Diva exhibition in London was an extraordinary thing at the Victoria and Albert Museum it brought you there and I'm not surprised because I saw seven of your Bob Mackie iconic pieces we actually looked at them together at your favourite costumes for Cher and for Tina Turner and unless I I'm uh, much mistaken, the exhibition, which goes on for nearly a year until 2024 in the summer, and explores the whole role of the diva. I want to know what you think of diva, what you feel about it, and what it was like seeing your designs and sketches among all the other diva displays
1: in front of me. For me, it was so interesting that there were things from turn of the century, you know, silent movie stars, Theda Bara. Had a you know a Cleopatra costume there. I was flabbergasted. that was they still had it, but they don't. Nobody has a copy of the film itself because it, it disintegrated. But they do have part of her costume, which is kind of I thought I th- kind of amusing really that this this very fragile little costume has survived all these years. But they couldn't keep the film alive. Well, of course, the dress that has survived also is the one that nobody will ever
0: forget from M- Marilyn Monroe. It was one of the first. Um, assignments that I think you had um, for her, it included the um, original sketch of the
1: Marilyn Monroe dress that she wore in 1962. Of course, she died, what, a couple of months later. So it it was very kind of shocking because that was like almost my first job, practically. And uh, I was very excited about working on that film. And then it was like everything changed overnight. It was quite strange. So you mean
0: it started with Happy Birthday, Mr. President, And then a very short time later, it
1: was all sadness and shock, really. Well, it was, you know, and then she was on the cover of every magazine, and it was very sad. You don't expect to lose somebody at that age, you know, that's that famous and had been working, but it happened.
0: Your career spans more than five decades. That's 50 years. I'm impressed.
1: It's, It's probably more like 60, but who knows? It was. I started in 1961, so... Whatever that adds up to, I'm not good with numbers. When I started in the business, I was right. I had quit school. I just said, I've had enough of this. I need to go work. I'm a grown-up now, and I I can't just stay in school. And uh, the first job I got was I got booked to do the Marilyn Monroe sketches for Jean-Louis, which was a huge film. But she was having surgery, uh, like a, a gallbladder operation, and she wasn't quite ready to start work yet. So he put me on a Doris Day film and I worked on, I don't know, I can't tell you how many Doris Day films I worked on in my early career until I started getting the jobs on my own. When you cut your teeth with the famous Hollywood Paramount Studios, the
0: costumier
1: was um, Edith Head, who really, would you say that she discovered you? Well, I don't know that she discovered me. We were renting, the costume designer for that film was a man named Frank Thompson and they were going to shoot the whole thing in the South of France. And um, because of that, we had to rent a little office in her suite of rooms at Paramount. And it was kind of fun because I loved it. I thought I could see all that was going on. I wasn't stuck in a back room somewhere where nobody ever said hello or goodbye. And um, I saw every every star that came in the first day I was there. Judy Garland came in and she said, Do you know where the ladies room is? <laughs> and I said, yeah, down the hall and to the left. And then as she left, I went, oh, my God, that was Judy Garland. And of course, I ended up working with her later, but just a couple of years later, which was interesting. I'd love you
0: to tell me what those early days were like when you were working with this Inner circle during the golden age of film, and you were working with stars like Marlene Dietrich and others
1: you've already mentioned. It must have been an extraordinary experience. Well, Marlena was fun. By the time I got to meet Marlena, she had come out to have a new gown made for her her concert uh, that she had been doing for years, and those were kind of one of some of the first see through dresses ever concocted in Hollywood. I mean, they were, you know, and it to- always took six weeks to make her a dress they fitted and they fitted and they fitted. And then they would take every bead and move them over a 32nd of an inch. She was very picky about her clothes because her career, you know, depended on that, like a lot of performers at the time. And, in, you know, movies, movie clothes were fabulous. She really did some incredible looking things. And I was quite the fan of hers and I'd seen her movies, but, but it was fun to get to know her very well. She used to call me from Paris. She had, after she'd hurt her leg and couldn't work any, more, I get these phone calls in the middle of the night. And she would tell me who she thought was really good and who she didn't like and whatever, whatever. <laughs> you know, you just, what do you do in the middle of the night when you're talking to Marlena Dietrich? You know, it's it's pretty fun.
0: It must have been a great experience meeting these people. I mean, to be so close to the famous. I think these days, there are
1: usually a lot of people surrounding the famous ones so that you can barely speak to them. Dietrich was not like that. Dietrich had come out and her original husband from Germany, had come with her when she moved to Hollywood but they weren't terribly really married but she was still married to him and she had boyfriends and girlfriends and god knows what going on all the time but she went out and he had a chicken ranch out in the valley San Fernando Valley and she says I have been cleaning chicken shit for the last week and she said it's just terrible the mess they have out there and she had her jeans on and her 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 jean jacket and a little cap. And then she was, you know, she was doing her job having a new dress made because everyone expected her to change every season when she would appear in these concerts. So it was quite fun just being around her and, and seeing how that all worked.
0: Well, as we say, you couldn't make it up the um, stories that you have are extraordinary, but I'd like to know something else because I- I'm making it seem as perhaps as though you're just somebody who goes along with the stars, which may be partly true. But you started your own label and were very um, serious about it, and it became a very important part of your life. So, uh, what was your aim at that point?
1: I was just doing some things in Los Angeles, kind of as, as a, a gag, you know. And we had a we had a work room right right in the heart of town. And um, we opened a little store and all of a sudden the the big department stores were wanting to buy from us. And that was interesting, you know, and I did that. I did that for over 10 years. And then I thought, I got to get back into show business. Retail people are too tough. <laughs> there
0: are so many things to talk to you about, about the past or the near past. But one thing that I must bring forward is... Now there's a very sad and sorry moment in your area because people are feeling so uncomfortable with the lack of money for um, intelligent young people who they would like to help. And it really seems as though it's been
1: going on so long already. You know, the bosses were making so much money and so little. It's being chipped away from the performers and and the people that used to make really rather, rather nice money. It it was very tight, and um, it's it's not good. Hopefully, they'll they'll solve it soon. Are you involved in any way? Uh, not really, but but you know, when there's no writers on on projects, I have one that's sort of pending now that I'm hoping will work out. But it's all when it went on hold while this whole thing was going on. Going back to the happiest part of your life,
0: or I so I feel. Um, and I was thinking about Cher, who is such a wonderful person, and um, I want to ask you about it. And um, if you think of um, Bob Mackie, you instantly think of Cher. Um, you've been designing <laughs> her show business costumes
1: since the 1970s. Did I get that right? Well, we did. We started in 71. She had been a guest star on the Carol Burnett Varieties show. I wasn't expecting a beautiful, gorgeous, exotic woman to walk in. I was. I thought she was this sort of goth, you know, kind of crazy rock and roll girl, and she came to see me at my first fitting at Berman's Costumes, which is a British firm, but they had a big workroom in in Los Angeles, and um, the first clothes we did were were made at Berman's. Anyway, she came in, and she was she was like she could have been Audrey Hepburn's little sister. She was so gorgeous and so tiny and and petite, and yet she looks like she's so tall, and she's not. She's five foot six which is really not terribly tall these days.
0: You brought magic to her straight away with those shimmering looks. They're sort of extraordinary when you look at them now. I mean
1: they were pretty rare and and daring. I tell you the minute I met her, I said, "Look at her." She's so beautiful. I couldn't believe it. She was so adorable and enthusiastic and uh, loves to get dressed up. That's the secret right there. She's never intimidated by anything she puts on. To her, it's like putting on a T-shirt and a pair of jeans. You know, she just loves looking dressed up. And Halloween is her favorite holiday. (laughs) But but how do you make somebody look so um, shimmering
0: and sexy, but elegant in a way, and the clothes seem almost entirely transparent?
1: Well, I learned how to do it. And of course, I I did work with with Jean-Louis, who originated the, the Dietrich gowns that were quite transparent. And I didn't copy them, but I saw how they were done. And then I ended up having the head of his workroom at Columbia, before they closed it down, working for me for years. And she knew exactly how to do it. Her name was Elizabeth Courtney and she was just phenomenal. She'd been at, at Columbia since the nineteen thirties. And then when she was when they closed the workroom at Columbia, she went to work for Western costume, which was a big costume house in Los Angeles. And at that time I'd worked with her later on the Judy Garland show and I actually I'd recommended her, I said, get her to do Judy's clothes. She needs some good clothes. And uh I was the assistant designer on that show. And eventually that designer and I worked together as a duo because we, we did so much work after a while that we often did things together and sometimes we did them solo each. But either way, I, I just, I was very lucky. I had some really fabulous uh, people to dress early on in my career and became well known, which is not usually the fact. You know, usually you're, you're hoping to get that good, good job you oh. I always was amused at red carpet events. In the old days, when movies were being made. you were always dressed by the costume designer and you got dressed at the studio. The limos would come and pick up you and your date. Often those girls didn't even know their date. They were just put with them like like a contract player who was handsome and looked good walking in with, with the girl. And... Uh, it was an, it was always interesting to do those shows.
0: I'd like to know a little bit more about the clothes because that is my area that oh, I have worked course. at for so long. And I always have wondered, when we're talking about movies, is it just about the dress when it comes to the clothing? Or does a star need to be a star? In other words, is it as much how they behave, how they dress, how they
1: look, how they move around as it is oh. what you make. How they look is so important. It's important to them, but it's also important to their fans and the audience. They, When they come to see somebody that's famous or whatever, and they go to a Las Vegas showroom or a big stadium where you're doing a concert, they don't want to be disappointed when that person walks out. They want to be, oh my God, look at her. Oh, she's so beautiful. And very often they're beautiful, but they're just normal people. People at home, you know, they're casual and, and whatever, but then when it comes time to be seen by the public. They go out for those concert tours, and they have to be—they have to be magical. And that was always my my job. You know, you make them magical. You make them look like, like something very special.
0: What impresses me is not just the fact that you are so successful and have been working with so many people, but it is that sheer number, which really is staggering. You know, I, I took out my pen in the old-fashioned way and started writing down, and I got Carol Burnett, Barbara Streisand, Beth Midler. Beyonce, Pink, Diana Ross, The Supremes, Madonna, I'm getting out of breath here, and um, Goldie <laughs> Horn and Margaret Mitzi Gaynor, your first client, I believe. And that's just a few of them. I'm sure you could tell me just the same number all over
1: again of different ones. Well, I was very, I you know, once, once you become, when Cher came on the air, nobody paid much attention to her before that. And all of a sudden, she was on every week doing a variety show. And that It was a summer replacement. And usually those shows are on just a few times and then they they go to the regular uh, schedule in the fall. Well, the people went crazy for her. She didn't look like all the other girls that were working. They were all, here in America, they were all blonde and blue-eyed and big chests and, and, you know, just that typical uh, kind of Hollywood glamour girl and often very young and kind of cute. And all those girls that had, you know, were Middle Eastern or or Latinas, all of a sudden they saw somebody that they could look like. And, and, and they were quite fascinated with her and and to this day I see middle-aged ladies coming to concerts and things and they say oh when I was a teenager she was my favorite and and everybody told me I looked exactly like her she says look at my nose it's just like hers you know and, and very often these middle-aged ladies who should be a little more mature have their hair parted in the middle and long and straight <laughs> you know? and you think what she didn't change her look from her from her high school days. But it it was just so interesting to work and see a whole country kind of change their look. And you still see women that really dress like Cher these days, and they're not exactly kids. And she's not either. She's She's well up in her 70s now.
0: I must say that someone for me who owns the stage is not a, a woman, but a man, Elton John. And it makes sense that he turned to you for his 1975
1: concert at the, was it at the Dodger Stadium in the um, US? Well, that wasn't the first concert I did with him. He actually did a share special. And on that special, special TV show, she had Bette Midler. She had... Uh, Elton John, then there was her, and then there was Flip Wilson, uh, the black comic. And he just had the best time doing that show, and she did too. And it's really quite a good show. But when the show was over, he came over to me and said, Do you think you could ever do anything for me, uh, costume wise? And I said, Well, yeah. What, what, what kind of things would you like? Thinking, well, I don't have too many men that I dress, so that would be interesting. He said, well, I want things like sharewares with, with all the glitter and the feathers and, and everything. And I said, oh, okay, I, well, we can do that. And I started doing it. And I drew a whole bunch of, of sketches. And he came to see, and I said, which one would you like? He said, no, I want them all. <laughs> he he wants them all, and and I said, oh, when are you leaving town? Well, day after tomorrow, and we're going. Oh, oh dear! But we got them done, and we sent them, and and then every time he would come to Hollywood, he would order new things, and then he had tailors in London. They were doing things for him also, and I think it changed the whole look that the audience enjoys with him. They never know quite what he's going to wear. And in those days, today he really wears tuxedos and they would be flashy or brocade or something. But in those days, he wore the wildest things, jumpsuits and feather coats. The first time he made his entrance, he had Mr. World, which was this muscle-bound black man holding him up in the air on his shoulder? He had a feather cape that went clear across the stage and out of the, out into the wings, and they just kept walking, walking. Well, the audience went crazy. And the minute he got that kind of response from an audience, he never stopped dressing up. And, of course, he sold a lot of those clothes on auction and, and gave it all to charity. So that was that was a good thing, too. It sounds amazing,
0: but another amazing thing to me is the fact that Bob Mackey is coming around
1: again, meaning that old is gold. <laughs> I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, some of these young girls, the starters, were looking at, you know looking at the old tapes from red carpets and different events and things and they started ordering these things made up, and some of them looked almost exactly like I was I'd do for share. And then the 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 columnists kind of picked up on it because a lot of them were there at the time. Everyone would say, and then the girls would say, "Oh, we copied we copied the share off that Bob Mackey did," you know. And it was just it, the whole thing was just silly and funny. But at this age, it's just funny to see your old old designs kind of you know make a comeback.
0: Well, yes, I mean, the the idea of your vintage things, going to Kate Moss and um, Miley Cyrus and... They
1: they want to borrow uh, something from the archives, always. That just interests them more than anything. Sometimes we, we loan it to them. It depends on what it's used for and who it is.
0: Let's talk about your private life. Not that I'm expecting for you to reveal anything, but I know you've chosen to make um, um, Palm Springs your base. And um, that itself is the home of old Hollywood glamour. Do you have any memories of the old Hollywood parties, maybe with Elvis or with Liz Taylor or Bob Hope? Or
1: I could go yeah. on with a the list. They, those people, I know very often they would go to Palm Springs and they would finally have a day off or a week off. And uh, play tennis and and just you know get a tan and relax and or go you know go riding go on a ho- get a horse and and, and just have a, a wonderful time, but it wasn't terribly social social. Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin had a little nightclub there which is still there and it, and and different stars come in and play there nowadays for a week, three or four days sometimes and it's really fun to go. Lucille Ball's daughter plays there. Uh and she has an act and of course she learned to sing from her father. That that's fun and and different people that were bigger in films in the old days are booked there and there's a lot of people there that are old-timers from Hollywood that worked in different different areas in the studios. Uh, designers and, and art directors and musicians and it's, it's amazing. And of course. Bob Hope lived there for years and years before he died, you know. It's an interesting town. It's a very quiet town at the same, but it's beautiful. It sits with mountains all around it and lots of palm trees and, and swimming pools. But, you know, I was I did so much work, at, you know, at the top of my career. I would do sometimes two and three and four hour-long shows in the, in a week with lots of costumes. And Carol Burnett I did for 11 years straight every week and uh I love doing it i mean i i I got to do exactly what I wanted to do as a kid as a child when I was thinking about what I do as I grew up and I had an uncle once who asked me he says he says "What are you going to do when you grow up Bobby?" And I said, "Well, I want to be a costume designer on Broadway, but i don't quite know where but i'd like to have a play at the Palace, which was a big theater in in new York on you know that was famous. And he just looked at me and he rolled his eyes back in his head and walked out the door. He didn't know what to do. He had no answer for me because all my cousins and everybody were playing baseball and sports. And, you know, whenever they'd come to my house, I'd put everything away and hide it all because I said, well, oh, they're going to wreck everything I've made.
0: Sometimes people think that the whole idea of costume is rather not as important as acting and as the other things in the music. Well, I've got news for them. <laughs>
1: You can you can change your whole audience with with a costume. A lot of people design clothes and they think well I'll I'll just do a show and very often they don't understand they don't pay attention to the person that's going to wear it and how they move how they look best what the audience expects to see them in all those things are so important
0: Would you call it a kind of Mackie magic because after all winning um, nine Emmy Awards for your designs and nominated three times I'm right aren't I for um, an Academy Award that really is very
1: impressive Well I just worked all the time and, and I was very popular that, you know, the, the minute I, I, I started working on a really regular basis, people were always coming to me and wanting something for them that would do the same thing. And I would say, well, I can't dress you like Cher, like you want, but let me do something that I think will make you more exciting or they're famous for some movie they made. And, you know, movie stars aren't always like they are in the movies, although quite often they're the same person in every movie. They're the same kind of character and people love that. They know what to expect then. And what about Barbie? Bang on trend with the film, yes? I know, is it exciting? Barbie had kind of, you know, kind of cooled down. You didn't see much about Barbie. And all of a sudden, she's a huge, she's a huge diva at this point in time. And, uh, it's funny. And, and they asked me, they called me up. I had done 40 some Barbies over the years, and I got really tired of and of doing it. And I just said, well, you know, the prices have gone down a little bit. I can't do the fabulousness I used to do. And then they called me again recently, a year ago, to do some holiday Barbies that were very glamorous and fun. I never wanted to make Barbie like You know, like the housewife next door or the airline stewardess or the, you know, all the things when Barbie first came out, she was, what what kind of career could I have? I just made them into fantasy ladies and I changed the sculpt of their face, which they let me do at Mattel. And I said, do she always have to have that silly grin on her face? Why can't she be more sophisticated? And they went with it for for me. And so we, we were very successful with the Barbie ladies. And now I'm doing it again. And they were never simple little frocks. You know, they were always fabulous, you know, Marie Antoinette or or those kind of period things that nobody sees anymore. And so it's so much fun to do that.
0: Well, you look as though you've had fun all your working life. I know you have also had an extraordinary amount of work to do, but you have come
1: through it smiling and I congratulate you. Well, it's because I love what I do. I love doing the job. You know, when you get to do the job you always wanted to do as a child, not everybody gets to do that. And go out the first week and get your first job at a studio like it, like it, it was at uh, Paramount. You know, to be right there with Edith Head coming in and checking to see what your, what your work looks like. And then before I turned around, she'd hired me. Once I was through with that designer, a week later, she had me there. Somebody didn't come in that week. And uh, I worked with her for several years before I left there and started doing things on my own. I'd love you
0: to know what I'm going to be doing this weekend. I am going back to the Victoria and Albert Museum, and I'm going to have another look at all those wonderful dresses, and I'm going to go into another world that you have created, and I shall so enjoy it.
1: Thank you for doing that. You know, it's funny you call them a dress, and most of them are not... You know, they're, they don't resemble dresses. They're, they're outfits or they're, they're, you know, we laugh and call them get ups because they're, they're not, they're not like real people wear. My mother always said, why don't you make some real clothes that I could wear? (laughs) And I just said, you're fine. Just stay the way you are. It's okay. (laughs) It's been
0: so great talking to you. Just as I expected, you're full of the life and the energy and the fun and the hard work that you can see in everything you've ever done. Congratulations.
1: Oh, thank you, Susie. It was so good seeing you again. I hadn't seen you in so many years. When I was up there, you know, in the second floor at the museum and you walked in, I went, oh, this is really a top top drawer place. Look at her. Look who's here. You know, I, it's been so many years since I'd seen you.
0: Well, come over to London or when
1: I come over to your part of the world and we'll get together. Fantastic. I love coming to London. You know, I grew up with my British grandmother and grandfather. I lived with them for eight years. So I got very used to certain kind of food and certain things that they just did automatically. They, they had moved to Canada and then straight to California. And and then I was born. (laughs) Well, you will be welcomed anytime. Oh, thank you so much. It's good to see you.
0: Bob Mackey, thank you so much for your intelligent and thoughtful words. Designing creations for the stars for so many decades shows how you really understand the theatre of it all and what it takes to dress a star. It is safe to say that the showbiz world would not be the same without you. Let's hope the troubles in Hollywood will soon be resolved as the news is currently starting to indicate and that costumes can resume production pronto. London's V&A exhibition called Diva is on until the summer of 2024 and you can see some of Bob Mackie's designs and sketches. A big thanks too to Chavon Veladi in Palm Springs for all her help and support and to 3M Recording Studios in Palm Desert. Creative conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Jörg Zuba, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels.